Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Thank you for coming along. We think of this as a program that offers solutions as well as challenges. Today, we're going to look at electricity and energy in general after the election. The electric world in particular is changing very fast, but that is not something that is generally recognized or seen because it's been from the consumer point of view, you and I who use electricity, quite seamless. In reality, it is anything but seamless. Huge changes are taking place. And to look at those today and what the election will mean for them, I have assembled three very talented people from Guidehouse, globe-circling uh, consultancy that deals extensively with electricity. My guests are Jan Brins, Karen Wilson, and Lisa Francis. They're all partners in Guidehouse in the energy, sustainability, and infrastructure practice. Thank you all three for coming along. Let's start with you, Karen. What might be some of the priorities for the Biden administration in terms of federal government policies and programs around energy? Yeah, thank you for that question. I think what we're seeing and hearing from representatives from the campaign and the transition is very wide ranging. You know, we're looking at infrastructure that is really encompassing of the entire built environment. So we're looking at um, how to make infrastructure projects more resilient, more climate friendly, more cost effective and energy efficient. We're looking at more coordination around climate change science, the various agencies that are involved with that. There's some increased coordination roles there, as well as things that affect consumers and capital portfolio owners, like energy efficiency standards, building materials, appliances, things like that. So it's it's a pretty broad conversation at this point. How wide is the effect going to be, Karen? Uh, as we look to the future of energy and changes, does this extend to the whole infrastructure, to buildings, or just to how we make electricity, which we'll get into shortly? No, I think if you look at what's being written and talked about in terms of an energy approach, it really is very encompassing. It's not just what we think about grid resiliency and the production of energy, but also the built environment, roads, bridges, buildings, and also extending to the, to the use of our lands and how to make our public lands, our agriculture more resilient and more adaptable to, to climate changes and to shocks. So I, I think we're seeing something that, that's pretty wide reaching at this point, how much of it can be accomplished and in what time frame is obviously still yet to come, but what we're seeing is very, very comprehensive in terms of the ideas. And uh, Lisa, how do you see this? How, how total do you see the change in the infrastructure, the remaking of the infrastructure? Well, I think I think it, there's going to be a total remaking of the infrastructure. I think Biden, you know, the Biden administration, we're going to he's going to really hit the ground running in day one, and his climate plan is going to force things to move toward net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. He's going to be investing 1.7 trillion dollars in you know clean energy and jobs, and he's got a number of executive actions that he's going to be taking to reach this goal, which I'm I'm very excited about. I've kind of been waiting my whole career for this moment. So I, I'm excited about the changes that are gonna happen, both on the infrastructure side, on the policy side, to really accelerate the movement to clean energy in the US. 
on what is happening in clean energy. Simplistically, it's getting off fossil fuels onto renewables. Explain it in some detail, please. Yeah, and, and this is not new. I, you know, this has a long time coming and, and we've seen already a lot of change in the, in the last decade or so. Uh, but I, I do agree with, with Lisa, if, if we have a, an administration um, uh, that really pushes uh, the agenda of, of climate change and sustainability, this will, this will merely accelerate it. But yes, we've seen, we've seen renewables uh, for, for decades coming onto the system in the last you know, three to five years at an accelerated pace. Uh, uh, for example, I think this year alone, uh, we're adding about 23 gigawatts of wind renewables to the system here in the US. Um, the highest record so far was, was around 11 or 12 gigawatts. So that's almost like a doubling of, of our highest year of adding you know, uh, renewable wind. Um, right. Would somebody like to define for me what renewable energy is? Uh, and in the public mind, I think that immediately says wind and solar, but what about other options? Lisa, you want to take this one? Well, sure. I mean, there are a lot of renewable energy options that are clean energy sources. There's biomass technologies, there's hydroelectric, there's onshore wind and offshore wind. There is also solar energy, which can be something called photovoltaics, which converts the sunlight directly into electricity, but there's also solar that can be used for hot water heating. So there's a lot of, and then there's geothermal technology, which is using the heat in the ground for power as well. So there's a lot of different uh, variations of renewable technologies, but in general, they're a clean energy resource relative. And on clean energy, nuclear fits into that, but it doesn't fit in as a renewable. Um, is that an awkward place that nuclear finds itself? It has all the virtues, but um, not the correct parentage. Well, it has no emissions, so it is considered clean, but there is the issue of waste disposal, which has to be addressed. And I think that's why I sometimes wonder, is it really a clean renewable resource? It, so in general, it's it, if, if, when you look at some of the state's 100% clean energy targets and plans, many of the utilities sometimes when they have their own targets will allow nuclear to play in for meeting those targets because there are no carbon emissions associated with it. We have some very ambitious state goals for clean energy. Do you think the utility, or I should have said really utility goals, do you think the utilities are going to be able to meet that? Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of utilities um, uh, increase their their targets um, in, in line with, with state uh, targets or even in, in, in certain cases ahead of, ahead of state targets. So I, I absolutely think that utilities are stepping up to the plate. Now back to the question that you asked uh, Karen, you know, the energy transition is, is more than just renewables. Um, uh, I, I just want to make clear to, to your audience that the renewables is, is, and renewable energy is a big part of that. But to Karen's point, it, it really changes uh, the way we live in cities uh, because we're going to build our buildings differently and, and we're going to make our buildings uh, 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 cleaner and, and more sustainable. Uh, transportation, the, the way we move people or, or goods will, will, will change as well. So, so it's really, you know, building this, this future that is, you know, carbon free, carbon neutral, um, uh, but also, you know, uh, uh, more, more friendly uh, through the use of technology and interaction with citizens. Uh, and customers of you know energy 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 providers. Right, I think that's true, and I think we've seen several states really try to set more aggressive targets and to take more aggressive actions for themselves in terms of their infrastructure and their energy plans. 
And I would think a Biden administration would continue to encourage that and provide those sort of incentives and support for states that really want to get out front in the way that they're tackling climate and resilience. What yeah. is going well, to be- I just might, might add that there are 17 states now that have 100% clean or renewable energy targets, and 29 states have renewable portfolio standards that they have to meet. So a lot of utility companies are also really embracing this. Utilities that typically have been conservative, like Arizona Public Service, now has a new CEO, and he's established 100% clean target by 2050. 65% clean by 2030 with 45% coming from renewables and they're gonna get completely out of coal by uh, 2031. And, and this is the trend that we're seeing you know, across the US, which is quite exciting. Utilities still depend on natural gas for an enormous amount of their generation. It's a fossil fuel and it's not without greenhouse effects. Half, perhaps half of those of coal. Yes. What's gonna to happen to gas? Well, there's a there's a, a lot of discussion now about uh, the role of, of gas um, in, in this energy transition, um, and and many years ago we have stated that 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 natural gas will be a transition fuel, um, but it will be a long transition. Uh, it's this is this is not a light switch; it's a transition. So it's going to take uh, multiple decades. But we we clearly see a, a need uh, in in like 2050, as, as Lisa pointed out, when we want to have a carbon neutral energy system, we need a renewable gas. Um, and there's a lot of uh, developments on that. I think in, you, you had one uh, session specifically on this topic of hydrogen as well, Llewellyn. So yeah, the Europeans are clearly taking the lead, uh, as well as some of the the, the Asian countries, in developing uh, renewable gas uh, from renewable energy. Um, uh, wind or, or solar at very low cost uh, that will produce a gas that is um, that, that doesn't emit any uh, greenhouse uh, gases when you use it. You can use it for power generation. You can use it for transportation for heavy trucks um, and, and, and buses. Uh, over time, you can uh, use it for you can use it for industries uh, to decarbonize heavy industries like steel and 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 and, and, and such. Uh, automotive industry, and you can also use it over time for household usage. Uh, there's there's already uh, uh, projects in Europe where they mix hydrogen uh, up to like 20% with natural gas supply into the people in people's homes, uh, and that way decarbonize you know the, the gas supply, and and over time that will increase to like 100% uh, renewable gas, also for uh, heating, and 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 you know in areas like you know the the northeast. Uh, we're still building new pipelines for natural gas. The natural gas industry seems to be highly set on a, a prosperous future. And we're getting a lot of natural gas very, very, very cheaply from fracking. Uh, how does this fit into a green future? Uh, is oh, all think... that going to close down? Is it going to be gradual? Uh, what is going to be the damage to the natural gas producing states, which include industrial states like Pennsylvania? It, it, it will be gradual, as I said before. It, it will be a, a transition. It's gonna it's gonna require multiple decades um, in, in certain parts, uh, you know, three four decades to to get there. One thing that Biden had mentioned too is that he probably will put methane pollution limits on operations, and so that's one way of probably addressing it as well. Uh, when we say methane um, pollution, we mean leaks from. Right. from natural gas pipelines, from fracking sites, and 
Correct. In fact, through the whole cycle of natural gas, there's leakage. That's and that's the problem. Um, while while you're up, why don't you tell us about carbon capture, utilization, and storage? Is that part of this future mix? I mean, there's a lot of work going on with carbon capture sequestration. Um, you know, the, the, the costs and the economics are still not quite there. And I think that's the biggest challenge that they're trying to overcome at the moment. But that certainly will be a part of the portfolio of technology solutions to achieving our 100% clean goals that we're trying to get to. I, you know, I, I personally don't think there's any one technology winner. It's got to be a portfolio of technologies that's going to get us to where we need to go. Jan. I don't have a good fix on the speed of this change in the energy sector. Uh, what is likely to slow it down? We know that there's huge public and political desire for it to be sped up. What is likely to show, slow it down, excuse me? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I don't see anything that will likely slow this energy transition down. Uh, the contrary. I don't see this uh, slowing down at all, Llewellyn. I think the, the Biden administration will certainly enable, um, you know, uh, acceleration at the, at, the, at the federal level. We see a couple of game changers. Um, uh, for example, offshore wind. Um, uh, we believe that the U.S. should really invest big time into offshore wind. Right now, they're looking at 10 gigawatts. Uh, back to your gigawatt question, it should be 200 gigawatts. Uh, another one is, is hydrogen and development of renewable gas. Uh, another one is, is um, uh, you know, the integration of distributed energy resources. And the last one is infrastructure, what Karen already spoke about. You need really federal government to help support uh, the development of new energy infrastructure. So, so these big investment areas, these game changers could accelerate it even more if, you know, um, if, if our federal government and obviously, you know, the House and the Senate, you know, gets behind it. I think, Jan, I totally agree that this is just accelerating. And I think it's largely because of the private sector interest, the utility interest, the state interest as well. But there will be some challenges too that I think the Biden administration will help get over. For example, on offshore wind, where I, you know, in, in the Northeast here, we don't have good solar resource. We don't have a, a lot of onshore wind. We have to rely on the offshore wind where I know up and down the East Coast, they're projecting anywhere from you know, 40 gigawatts of potential to 100 gigawatts. I've heard numbers, quite a large range, but there has been some opposition by the fishing industry in the past. And so the Interior Department of Interior Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, BOEM, in the past with this administration currently has been restricting the development of the first offshore wind project, which is 800 megawatts called Vineyard Wind. Uh, because they're really requiring them now to do more supplemental environmental impact studies. And so it's things like that that I'm hoping the Biden administration will help to ease off some of these regulations and to move things forward, to allow things to accelerate because they should be accelerating in the marketplace. The Biden administration has its own internal problems, uh, as all, all administrations do, but it's under a huge amount of pressure from its left wing to go very fast to renewables. What are the downsides of renewables? Do we know what happens to these windmills after 50 years? Do we know what happens to solar cells after the same amount of time? The only issue that I, and, every, and Jan and Karen can weigh in, but I, the main issue with renewables right now is the variability of the resource. The sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow, 
And you have to deal with that variability, but there are technologies that are beautifully complementing that. So you have battery storage that can be used with storage, with, that can be used with solar technologies. And there's a lot of things that are being done, frankly, with software and IT systems that are gonna basically be working to help optimize load shifting and energy efficiency programs. So you can bring these technologies together to optimize their use with the grid. And so those are the kinds of things that I think that have to be dealt with, the variability of some of these renewable technologies. They have long lives, like any generation technology, you know, you're dealing with coal and gas. They, they have end of life issues as well that have to be addressed, the, the waste from the coal. So I think, you know, all technologies have their issues. I think with wind and solar, some of those technologies are about the variability of the generation. Have we looked at what we're going to do with solar cells when they're exhausted with all these carbon fiber blades from the, are we going to put them in the ocean? We're going to put them in landfills from the windmills? That's a good we, question. We, we have a, uh, as part of this, this energy transition, this, this is going to be one of the biggest issues. Um, I, to, to Lisa's point, you know, new technologies, you know, always cause other problems like the internet, right? Uh, great great invention, but it's causing some issues as well. And, and, and you know, we're gonna have to work through those issues. But the biggest issue of the energy transition is the, um, is really the, the assets, right? Is the retirement of assets and, you know, whether it's oil assets or, or gas assets or, you know, uh, over time wind farms, um, uh, we're gonna need to deal with that. And, and um, I think it's one of the biggest uh, challenges for, for our industry now. With that being said, um, you know, if you look at wind turbines, um, we already see, uh, you know, concepts of reuse and, 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 and building in circular, you know, economy concepts, same with solar panels. Uh, if you already have the wind farm, uh, you know, established and you have the connection established, you can actually change out, um, you know, those, those turbines pretty quickly, reuse uh, uh, some of the scrap material for, to build new, new. So I, I think the, the concept of circular economy has to build into, you know, this energy transition. Um, the, the, the points of where, you know, we capture the sun or the wind will be the same. And then, you know, the individual assets will be, you know, will be renewed over time as you, as you buy a new car after, you know, seven or, or eight years. And there are many companies looking at how to best recycle the components of these different technologies. So that's already being addressed in R&D. They don't have all the answers currently, but it is being addressed. Yindhouse uh, is leading or has played a key role in getting the financial institutions together to play their role in uh, moving towards a renewable future. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, Guidehouse is supporting um, a, uh, an initiative which is called uh, a, a PCAP, and PCAP stands for Partnership for Carbon Accounting uh, Financials. And this is an initiative where um, uh, the financial institutions uh, globally are coming together to figure out ways how they can uh, monitor and manage uh, uh, carbon emissions within their own portfolio. So I think right now it's close to 90 financial institutions, some of the largest banks and, and, and investment firms in the, in the world, representing 1.8 trillion of, of assets. And they come together as a, as a group to really um, uh, develop uh, uh, governance and, and reporting mechanisms, and also how they can support you know, the decarbonization of, 
you know, the asset investments um, uh, that they have within within their portfolio. We're very excited about this initiative. It started in in the Netherlands, actually, my home country, and then Europe, and now it's really become a, a global phenomenal phenomenal. And 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 I believe uh, that you know, if we have you know the government on one side, uh, we have the financial investment community and the banks, and then we have the private um, uh, sector. Uh, as well as you know, uh, the manufacturers in this space, all you know, uh, uh, geared around the same objectives. Uh, I think that would be really, really uh, uh, helpful in terms of. We're beginning to run out of time, so tell me, everybody, what technology particularly excites you? What is coming along? It might be in storage, not necessarily generation, and it might be in the handling of fuels. Anybody very excited about any one particular technology? Well, I'm, I guess I'm excited about electric vehicles just because, you know, currently transportation accounts for the most emissions in carbon emissions in the United States. It's now surpassed uh, emissions from the power sector and generating power plants. So, you know, I think electric vehicles, I have an electric vehicle now and I, I love the performance of it. I think it has potential to be transformative. Um, and I think it's an exciting technology if we can- Lisa, just... you're in Washington, right? I'm in Boston, actually. Oh, you're in Boston. Well, the same question. Uh, it's just nice to know where you are. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's Karen who's in Washington and Jan is yeah. in Miami. But um, uh, do you have any problems getting it recharged? No, I mean, no. I want to buy one, but I live in an apartment building and there's no charging possible here yet. Well, I think they're working on ways, you know, we work with a number of utilities who that's what they're doing They're, You know, I think a lot of there's innovation, not on the technology side, but the other thing I'm excited about is all the innovation going on on the business model side. So the utilities are also looking at ways of creating new business incentives, like performance-based incentives to help get some of these new technologies in the marketplace. And, you know, I think the build out of EV infrastructure is going to be key for electric vehicles, but it's happening. It's happening by the private sector, and it's happening by the utilities, and there's a lot of different creative uh, financing schemes that are taking place to help roll those technologies out. We also have an electric vehicle, and we love it. <laughs> and you're in Washington. We do, yeah. And you get it charged without difficulty. We, yes, we have a charging station behind the house, but there's lots of other places to do it. Um, but I do, I, I think I'm always excited about any new building materials and appliance efficiency and building efficiency technologies and innovations that are constantly sort of coming onto the market to enhance cost savings, resiliency, and more sustainable sourcing, um, as well as energy efficiency. So that's why. Okay, uh, Jan? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, we often forget about efficiency, but the best way is obviously, you know, not using the electricity. And that's what Karen is talking about. And, and we have a large team and, and we have made significant uh, progress there. The last one, I'll get back. I, I, I might sound like a broken record as well, because I think when, when you interviewed me a couple of years ago for the first time, I mentioned this as well. But I'm very excited about hydrogen uh, and the potential of hydrogen. We know we need a renewable gas um, to really uh, meet the objectives of 2030, 2040 or 2050. Uh, and there is a path forward where we don't need to waste and throw away our gas infrastructure, but can actually reuse it for uh, a renewable fuel, uh, which will be, uh, you know, better for, you know, all of us for our longer term future of our children and our grandchildren. So I'm really excited about the technology advancement and also the cost of hydrogen, how that has come down, where within the next five to eight years, you can probably uh, use hydrogen at the same price point as natural 
natural gas in, in several parts of the world. Do you see this hydrogen coming from uh, wind as a byproduct or solar as a byproduct, or do you see it coming from natural gas, which can be reformed into hydrogen? Yeah, we see we, definitely from renewables. It could come, um, you know, from natural gas. Uh, you know, blue hydrogen with carbon capture. I think there's there's a ton of uh, possibilities there. And nuclear too, Jan too, right? And I don't know several utilities that are looking at making hydrogen from nuclear. Um, this is the new excitement, I think, in the nuclear industry. It's been a difficult year for everybody. What excites you about next year in this field? Anybody? Well, I, I guess I'll start. I, for me, it's, I feel like it's an unstoppable trend uh, that's moving toward 100% clean energy in the U.S. You know, I've, I've been in this field now since the early 1980s, and I I saw under the Carter administration this huge interest, and then when Reagan administration came in, it it kind of came to a halt. But that was because the technology costs weren't quite there yet, and it couldn't sustain itself by itself. But now I think the private sector—you're seeing Amazon and Google and Microsoft and uh, Apple and all these private sector companies getting in—they're going to put pressure on their suppliers. The states, there are 17 states in the U.S. that have. 100% clean targets, like I said earlier. So the momentum is really there. And I think that's the thing, frankly, that's that's different. The momentum is here to stay, I think, because the economics of clean energy are competitive. We've got the jobs that it's creating. Advanced energy now is 3.5 million jobs in the US, and that's after COVID. And then there's an environmental imperative. So I the thing that I'm excited about is that there's no turning back now. You know, this is this is finally gonna happen after all these years I've been in this sector, hoping it's going to happen. And I think we're finally on a, like Jan said, an accelerated path. And Jan, what excites you about this coming year in energy? For me is that um, um, energy, we have to look at energy in the broader context. Again, in the context of, you know, how we live in cities and communities, um, urbanization, uh, uh, infrastructure, transportation. So, so for me, what's really exciting is, is that different industries, um, different silos, if you will, from the past are coming together to create a, a, a new society um, that is clean uh, and sustainable, but has so many other aspects than energy. So for, for us in the energy sector, it's so important to collaborate with government agencies and, and, and with other stakeholders around you know, infrastructure investments as well. And with that, I will hand it over to Karen because I think she will add to that. Yeah, I would just dovetail on that. I mean, I think I think it's exciting to see, and I, I work predominantly with public sector agencies. So just just seeing that there's a real opportunity, I think, for collaboration, whether it's city, state, federal, but also with the with the private sector. I think there's an enormous opportunity, and honestly, I think there's a lot of broad support for these these kinds of initiatives. Um, it, it really isn't as partisan, you know, as as other issues may be. And so I think I think there's a lot of opportunity here. 2021, it has a kind of ring to it. Maybe it's a brave new uh, world. Um, you had the last word, Karen. Thank you, all three of you, for coming along. And good luck and be safe. That's our show for today. Thank you and cheers. I'm going to relax. Our program, White House Chronicle, is on offer as a podcast for you to enjoy. Full shows on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and all major audio platforms. Subscribe and take us with you in your pocket.